Good morning. My name is Felicia Orth. Uh, I'm the church president this year and sidekick to the forum chair. Uh, we're here this morning uh, uh, to uh, discuss early childhood education and care. This is a continuation of the uh, forum talk from last week uh, by Wade Wheelock. And uh, we're joined this morning by Susan Gisler, who is on the uh, board of the uh, relevant program, uh, the uh, firstborn program. And we have uh, Molly McBranch and Kim Ferguson, and, and Susan's going to introduce them properly. If you didn't see the handout on your way in, uh, there's a handout of internet resources on early childhood education and care at the back. Um, please welcome Susan, Molly, and Kim. Hi. I, get, I think most of you know me. I'm Susan Gisler, and I've been a pediatric nurse practitioner for 30-something years, just newly retired, and uh, one of my retirement goals was to work on a fine organization just like this one, and, and this is something close and dear to my heart, uh, home visiting, uh, working with families and children. Um, um, I am on the board. We have a seven to nine member board. At the present, we have six, so we're looking for new members. Um, and um, and I'm going to let Molly and Kim talk about um, the program itself. I'll just tell you that the board itself uh, just we we have the general powers to administrate the the affairs. Uh, we estab help establish policies, procedures, overseeing the budget, but they do most of all this work. We oversee it to make sure everything is, you know, in order and offering our expertise. Um, so we as the individuals promote the mission and the vision of Firstborn, which they will tell you about and support the fine work of the staff. So um, Kim Ferguson and Molly McBranch are going to introduce all the their, what they do, and I want you to give them a hand and listen very carefully to this wonderful program. Well, and first off, we have to give credit to Tara because she's not with us today, and she really did the lion's share of the work that, we're, that we are presenting on her behalf. So we're with her in spirit and wish a speedy recovery. So um, anyway, so just know that this is her, her hands are all over this presentation. Um, and Firstborn Program is a home visiting program for new parents in Los Alamos County with new babies. We start in the prenatal time period, and we follow families up to three years of age. Um, and I would, I do presentations at the hospital in the birth class, and I, so I'm looking out at a sea of faces of new mamas and partners, and they're all, you know, very pregnant. And so I ask them, like, what are your greatest fears, and um, about becoming a parent? And you hear all kinds of things, you know, like, will I be able to change a diaper or this slithering little infant and or um, how will I get any sleep and so these are questions that our home visitors help families solve and puzzle through together so um, the idea of a home visit is we have they have one home visitor that visits them on a regular basis and that's the key to establishing a solid relationship is when you have this one person coming into your house every week to help you with the growth and development of your baby. It's, uh, it's, it's life-changing. 
Um, so this is what is home visiting. <laughs> and uh, it moved itself. I'm sorry. that's okay. Um, we... Last Friday, Tara heard an interview with Justin Timberlake. It was on NPR. And do you all know who Justin Timberlake is? He's, yeah. So if you don't know who he is, um, he is a pop star. He's a, uh, he was kind of a bad boy maybe 10 years ago. You know, really kind of a bad boy. And um, like he was oh, probably... What's that? A womanizer. He was yeah. known to be um, with all the ladies. Uh-huh. And so I think as a parent, you'd be like, oh, mercy. I hope this boy grows up one day soon. And so he has. He's grown up. He's become this, uh, he's a father himself. He uh, is a producer. Um, and so this on this interview that Tara heard on Friday on NPR, um, he really... Well, he credited his parents for how, how far he had come in life. And, <clears throat> pardon me, there's a quote here. The quote is, what happens is you relearn who you are. This is when you have children. What happens is you relearn who you are, and you realize that who you thought you were is not who you are. But it breaks you open to this whole different level of empathy and compassion and patience and humility. And um, that's what he said about parenting. And so from the bad boy to this amazing father, um, we, we try to pull that thread with our families, too, because you never know what's going to happen as you parent. Um, let's see. Do you have the next one? Well, I think this is Susan. This is where Susan is. So I want to give a little overview of, of home visiting because... Um, you know, this is not a new thing, is it? I mean, when you think about humankind, people have always visited each other in times of trouble or to teach or to for extended families. Um, home visiting itself as a part of education for child education, you know, you can look in, around the 1800s uh, and the mid-1800s, what was happening in Europe, but then started here in the United States. And three different programs kind of um, started a lot of this. One was the kindergarten program that was based in um, originally in Germany. And in the United States, how it began to manifest was we had kindergartens of, in impoverished communities supported by philanthropic organizations. So they had this, the teachers in the morning with their classes, and then in the afternoons they visited all their families to teach them about child care and education of children and things like that. So that's one thread of home visiting. The next was the public health nurses. And again, in Europe, they were way ahead of this. They were already doing public health nursing, type nursing in England and a lot of the other European countries. But here in the United States, we started again in impoverished communities. And again, the money came mainly from philanthropic organizations. They weren't funded by you know, the state or anything else like that. Then the third little thread of home visiting was the settlement group. And this was a group of people who would actually settle themselves in communities, impoverished communities, immigrant communities, and then go visit and do things and connect them to different organizations around them and then advocate for 
thing, for uh, things that they needed, whether it was kindergartens or whatever services they felt like they needed, they advocated for that. So there is your basis of home visiting. So go through all these charities here and there, doing all different things, some communities better than others, and then um, we hit the depression, where people, uh, all the funding from a lot of these charities went away. And so then the government started to take over part of the um, cost of doing these home visiting. But it was still not, uh, I don't know, everybody wasn't on board that home visiting was that important. So we've kind of gone through fluctuations. When I did public health nursing in the 70s, we had lots of money. I was in Appalachia. We were, giving, we were doing all kinds of new programs, getting grants, having support from from North Carolina, the state of North Carolina. And then the 80s hit, and things were slashed, and these things just shrunk. So this is kind of home visiting in a nutshell. And then in the 90s, we started getting all these new studies that showed, well, by golly, it decreases infant mortality. It does this, it does that, and whatever. So that's the background that I want to give you for why this program and programs like it are important and why they need to be funded, <laughs> you know. Um, in the pediatric office, I have 15, when I was working the last 20 years with Children's Clinic, or 25 years, um, we had 15 to 30 minutes uh, every two to three months for initial, you know, that was past the initial newborn visits, to talk with families about um, physical, emotional, developmental, health care, you know, who's problems in the family, that is like no time. So we could address some of those issues, but certainly not the, not the bulk of it, and certainly not give some of the support that we could give. We work connections, and I don't ever want to put down the work that we did, but, but we can't do what needs to be done. Um, I suppose if we had families that, uh, if we had communities with stable nuclear families that had healthy rearing practices, no poverty, no people living month to month on tight budgets, no mental health issues, no postpartum depression, no addiction. We wouldn't need this, okay? But that is not our reality. And especially in this community, and now most communities, we have people coming from far away from their families, sometimes miles and miles, sometimes continents away, and who come here with all of a sudden starting new families and no support. Okay, so the one thing I did want to do before I hand this back, as this is their show, is um, is tell you that the Academy of Pediatrics supports this. I mean, a lot. If anyone thinks that this is just, uh, you know, we do this already in um, in our offices, and this is just a duplication, it is not. <laughs> uh, in fact, they had a Dr. Henry Kemp. If you want to Google him, he was the one that identified battered child syndrome back in the 60s. And he advocated for every family having a home visit. Every family, not just high-risk families or anything else. And that was in the 60s, and that came up again later on. So this is a long history from my point of view in pediatrics. Um, so this is what... Uh, there's millions of things that... So this is the recommendations by the Academy. Recognize that home visitation programs are complementary to office-based practice and part of the continuum of care. We need to become familiar with the outcomes of home visitation programs and variables that enhance 
favorable outcomes, uh, become aware and, and, uh, and coordinate the different types of home visitation programs uh, in the area, um, advocate for, uh, for home health visitors as members of the health care family and partners in an, obtaining uh, information about factors that affect our children's health, um, support referral of high-risk patients, be willing to participate in the planning and implementation and evaluation of these programs. Um, I mean, this goes on, and advocate at the local, state, and national levels, and that's why I'm here. I'm advocating for this program. It is a great program. We need to make sure it keeps funded, and we need to hear about what the wonderful things they do. So here you go, guys. <laughs> that, was, that was really great. <laughs> Um, so, we have a we have a cartoon, which is uh, <laughs> as your parent, I promise to do everything to keep you safe from harm, and as your kid, I promise to fight you on that every step of the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> home visiting um, is this is this is what a parent as they're holding their new infant is feeling and but then the baby starts crying and there are so many different cries that happen and hearing the different variations in the cry is really important for a new parent to understand because then they know if the baby's hurt if the baby is lonely if the baby's hungry um, each cry has a different sound and our home visitors teach parents to hear that to hear the different cries and um, so, so it, we, can, we can reframe this in a, in a parent's mind, that they're not really fighting with you. They're actually telling you something. And what are they telling you? And how can the parent respond? Um, so let's go on to the next one. And so um, home visitation programs are evidence-based. They are not only based on the studies they're not only based on the studies of um, how home visitation programs can help, which is part of what Susan covered, but they're also based on the studies about what we now know about infant brain development. And we know that y'all have talked a little bit about this, um, I believe last week um, it was, but during the first three years of a child's life, that is the period of the greatest amount of brain development that they're ever going to have. Um, it's that time when the um, neural connections um, are most ripe for, for um, being created. Um, and these neural connections are what are going to affect um, their mental health, their cognitive ability, their relationships, their ready for school, uh, readiness for school, um, and, and basically their lifelong development. So um, these connections we now know are developed in the context of early experiences. If a child has negative early experiences, then the connections will not be as readily made. Um, and their, as we like to quote Dr. Bruce Perry, their states of, um, of how they feel will start to become their traits. So if they become restless and irritable, they will be they will become, over time, that kind of person. Um, so, so what occurs prenatally and to three will have lifelong impacts on this child. And a lot of that has to do with how the parent responds to the child. It's, it's important for the whole community to respond to the child in a positive manner, 
But what we now know is that the parent is the primary source of learning that the child will ever have. And that, that makes sense because that's the person who will have the most access to the child. And it's about that, what Molly was mentioning about cueing and attunement. The child will learn whether or not the world is safe from their parent. So if the parent is acting in a way that is not attuned to the child, um, if they're not responding to cues, if the child is neglected, if the child is harmed in any way, they're going to learn that the world is an unsafe place. But if the parent is responding to the child as being communicated with, if they're saying, oh, I see that you're showing me the signs of being hungry, here, let me feed you. If they're responding in kind ways, if they're not yelling, if they're not acting stressed with the child, then the child is going to learn that, that the world is a safe place. And it's from those two different positions that the child will continue to develop into the world. Um, and that, of course, like we said, impacts their mental health, it impacts their ability to learn from situations as they get older, it impacts how they're going to respond um, to, to the world around them. And um, just gonna jump in. Yeah. So think about um, when, you're, when you are very upset um, your body is bathed in stress hormones, and a baby feels that same, the same stressors when they're left to cry um, or to feel stress. And those, when, when their body is bathed, the brain is bathed in stress hormones, and the stress hormones nip or they clip the neural pathways. And so um, as an infant, you, they're... Like Kim said, their baby, the brain is growing millions of neural pathways every day. It's incredible, and then they're they're pruned as time goes by. But in between zero and three, you, the idea is to keep the baby in a um, a state of reg regulation. Well. And again, to jump in, what we, what we now know, for example, is that when you let a baby cry and they stop crying, you haven't necessarily trained that baby not to cry. What you've trained is that baby to understand is that nobody's going to help them, and so why bother crying? And so, so that's, you know, again, what we now know is that, um, <clears throat> is that as infants... Um, you know, they're, they're autonomous human beings. We've, we've known that. But they respond in, in many ways the same way an older child or even an adult would. And so they, they understand futility. They understand um, safe and unsafe spaces. And so that's one of the things that we work really hard to help parents understand as well. So, is it going to come up? Well, this is a video from... Harvard Early Childhood Ed. The key to forming strong brain architecture is what's known as serve and return interaction with adults. In this developmental New neural connections form in the brain as young children instinctively serve through babbling, facial expressions, and gestures. And adults return the serve, responding in a very directed, meaningful way. It starts very early in life, when a baby coos and the adult interacts and directs the baby's attention to a face or hand. This interaction forms the foundation of brain architecture upon which all future development will be built. It helps create neural connections between all the different areas of the brain, building the emotional and cognitive skills children need in life.
For example, here's how it works for literacy and language skills. When the baby sees an object, the adult says its name. This makes connections in the baby's brain between particular sounds and their corresponding objects. Later, adults show young children that those objects and sounds can also be represented by marks on a page. With continued support from adults, children then learn how to decipher writing and eventually to write themselves. Each stage builds on what came before. Ensuring that children have adult caregivers who consistently engage and serve in return interaction, beginning in infancy, builds a foundation in the brain for all the learning, behavior, and health that follow. So this is what we were talking about. It's the serve and return, um, cueing, attunement that all relates to building the baby's brain structure. Um, and do, you, do you want to talk about ACEs? Um, sure. So, so going back to what we were talking about, how the, the parent's interaction with the child um, impacts whether or not the child recognizes that the world is a safe place or an unsafe place. Um, you can imagine that there are certain experiences that a child can have that will definitely say immediately that the, the world is an unsafe place. Um, and, and one of the things that um, we've learned is that these experiences, also known as adverse childhood experiences, can impact not only the lifelong learning of the child, but the, long, the lifelong mental and physical health of the child. And so um, it's actually a really inter interesting study done by the, I believe, Kaiser Permanente. Permanente, I can never say it, um, where basically they started seeing that individuals had chronic health problems such as heart disease or obesity, but that they didn't necessarily have a family history of it. And so they were trying to figure out why these individuals were impacted in this way. And so they started, and, and basically they realized also that individuals would get to a certain level of health and then they would just stop. So for example, individuals who were struggling with obesity would go to a weight loss group and they would start losing weight and they would be exercising and getting healthier and then suddenly they'd stop and then they'd regress. And they were trying to figure out why that consistent stop and regression. And so they started doing counseling with these individuals and realized that these individuals all had what were called adverse child experiences in their background. And, or sorry, childhood experiences in their background. These childhood experiences would be um, physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, um, exposure to family violence, substance abuse, or um, depression in a parent, neglect, divorce, or the incarcer incarceration of a, a household member. Any of these things um, basically made the individual feel unsafe, and so a lot of those health indicators were being held onto by the person because that was their safety net for whatever reason. Um, and so, so we started looking at, or <laughs> studies have started looking at, how these adverse childhood experiences impact um, the very real physical health of individuals as they grow up. Um, so it's not just a mental issue or an emotional issue, it's also a very, very real physical issue as well. Um, and so adverse childhood experiences are um, something that most children actually experience. 
Um, part of what we talk about with our home visiting families is when these experiences happen, how do we create resilient children? Because that was the other thing that they found was that just because an individual had these aces in their background, that didn't necessarily mean that they were going to have a horrible life and negative health indicators later on. So, so one of the things that we're constantly talking about is how do we as parents work with our children to make sure that they're resilient no matter what comes their way. And you might be wondering, well, how does this relate to home visiting? And so our home visitors are trained in ACEs. They're trained in behavior and development and growth and development of the baby. And so <clears throat> when you think about it, if you have this highly trained professional coming to your home on a regular basis and checking in with you about um, things that are happening in your life, um, you are, it, I mean, the power of someone listening to you on a regular basis, it, I don't think we give that very much credit in our society, to have a person just listen and also be curious and wonder with you and help you puzzle through whatever it is that you're chewing on. And I'm not talking about therapy here because our home visitors are not trained as therapists, but the power of the listening ear um, can, can really bring about um, profound change in a family. And so if there are ACEs in a, in a person's background, or the other thing is couples come together under all kinds of circumstances. One can have no ACEs in their background and the partner can have a lot. And those can come up, those things come up when a baby comes into the picture. And so how a couple deals with that um, is what a home visitor, that's where the home visitor can help help refer them to therapists in the community, um, to support groups in the community. We have so we have pretty good resources here in Los Alamos. So um, I just wanted to bring that into play of as course. to what the home visitors, that's they, they talk about the growth and development of the baby, but we also are in the home in a much more uh, deeper and impactful way um, emotionally. And it's important to note that the home visitors not only talk about these issues, but then they always bring it back to, how does this impact your child? Mm -hmm. And by bringing it back to that, often what you find is that families who may not have seen it as a problem previously, or who may not have been willing to get help previously, will suddenly say, oh my goodness, that's really causing a problem in my family, and it's going to be a problem for my child. And so they're more, they're more willing to accept those resources that, that are offered. So um, go ahead, and t this is about... The Kim, I jumped in there, sorry, but no, the ACEs no. relate to the achievement gap, so you can wrap it up. No, that's fine. Um, so I think it's important to note that, um, that sometimes the ACEs um, don't necessarily pop up until the baby's in the picture, so there's, no, there's not always a way to know that a family's going to be at risk until they have a child already there, and by that point, you're, you're really just kind of trying to make sure that everybody's stable and okay. Um, but we know that when there are ACEs or when um, a family is poor or um, even minority families, um, the children are often at a disadvantage entering kindergarten. 
Um, they, because of the way their, their parent has interacted with them, either the neural connections have not been formed that help for school readiness. Um, we also know that often in disadvantaged families, there's a word gap, meaning that the family doesn't speak to their child as much, and therefore the child has not been primed for new vocabulary. Um, but we know, we know that often these families with ACEs and with um, poverty or minority, um, their children enter kindergarten not really ready for kindergarten. Now, many of the skills, and there is hope, <laughs> because many of the skills that would help those children catch up and be ready for kindergarten don't have to be mitigated by giving the family more money or making them not minority. They can be taught to the family. And that's what home visiting does, is it teaches those skills, um, such as the cueing, such as attunement, such as talking to your baby. Something as simple as just looking them in the face and talking to them about your day can really improve their chances in kindergarten. And that's, again, something that home visitors often talk about with the families. We may... and. Again, you may be wondering, how does this relate to Los Alamos? Because we have a relatively stable economy. We have access to good health care. We have food. We have, most people have shelter. Um, and so it, you may be wondering, well, why, how does it relate to our community? But um, that's, the, that's the beauty of, this home visiting, of all the home visiting programs in New Mexico. You do not have to be at risk in any way. It's a free service to everyone because everyone needs support. I mean, I can speak about this personally. I, when I had my first baby, I was very nested in the community. I had my parents close by who are devout Unitarians. So I had a great upbringing. <laughs> a little biased. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I had, so I felt really nested. But um, I think that when you have this trained professional coming to your home on a regular basis, you... Uh, you have this person who you can really say, uh, I can't get my baby to sleep and I don't know what's going on. And then it's not your best friend saying, well, just let them cry it out. Um, or, or your other friend saying, let's, um, you know, just, just bring them into bed with you. Um, it's the home visitor saying, well, what is it, what kind of, what kind of practice do you have going to bed? How do you get the baby ready for bed? Let's just walk, let's break it down into bite-sized pieces here. And um, the home visitor walks that path with them very carefully. And even asking, what do you want your family to look like? We, we know that you're getting lots of input from others about what their families look like. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right for you. So what do you want your family to look like? Um, it's also too important to note, though, that while we are not risk-based, the risks exist in Los Alamos. Um, as you can see behind me, um, we actually have a relatively high child poverty rate. It's still under the national average, um, but it's, it's more than we would want it to be at 12.8%. Um, we know that we live in a high cost of living area where people are very stressed about how much it costs to live here. So 29% of families renting um, have a high housing cost burden. Um, Seven percent of children live in a house where a family isn't working. I think it's really important to note one of the aces that we talked about is having a parent that has depression. And I really want to point out um, that even within our program, we've been in we've been in um, we've been accepting referrals since December of 2014. 
And in that amount of time, we have consistently had higher than the national average of individuals who are experiencing some kind of depression or anxiety or some kind of mood disorder. So that is, that is prevalent in this community that, that families are experiencing um, at least one of, the, one of the ACEs. Um, so we, now we need to start wrapping things up. So um, Firstborn Program is a prevention and promotion program. Um, and like I said, we said it's not for just for high-risk clients. Um, um, the Firstborn Programs are, well, sev over 70% of babies born in New Mexico are already in Firstborn Programs. Um, so it's a really interesting statistic. It started in 1997, uh, founded by a child psychologist named Vicki Johnson. Her husband's a pediatrician, and they live in Silver City. And um, so she mastered the craft there. This is Vicki in the lower left-hand corner there. Um, and the original seed funding for the Firstborn programs came from the Lanel Foundation. Um, and you probably know Christine Koblenz was the founder of the first uh, Firstborn program in Los Alamos in 2009. Um, and that was when the program was housed at the hospital. Currently, we're, we're an independent nonprofit. We're no longer at the hospital, but we work closely with the hospital. They're a partner of ours. So a hallmark of home visiting is we recruit our home visitors from within the community. We don't hire from Rio Reba or Sandoval County or Santa Fe or anything like that. They have to live within the community because they need to know uh, the needs of the community. Um, we, we have, within our staff right now, we have over 100, or we have 100 years of experience, which is kind of amazing. I joked with Kim, and I said, I feel like we're like the Galapagos tortoises or something. <laughs> so it makes us sound really old, but, but we bring a lot of um, cachet with us. Um, we also have, as you can see, um, we have a staff that's multilingual. We have Cantonese and Mandarin, Hindi, and Spanish all represented, and that's because we have such an international population, so we really have to meet the needs of, of our families. This is, um, this cartoon is, when you're planning to have kids, you say, I'm going to be the best parent ever. And then, when you actually have them, you say, well, at least I don't suck any worse than I do. <laughs> be less bad. And so, really, our home visitors, this, this slide speaks to how we normalize things for parents. Um, because parents can get really, you know, they get really spun out about why my baby won't sleep. And the a home visitor could really normalize that. Like, okay, your baby's at four months of age. Let's look inside the mouth and see what's happening. Are they getting teeth? Or that's when the eyes start to develop. And so instead of sl sleeping through the night, their eyes are now just growing and changing. And so they're waking up and they're seeing a lot more at night. And so recognizing that and understanding where the baby is in their development, then parents can say, oh, the baby's looking around and seeing a different world, and it changes everything. So we, norm we help normalize things for parents. So what happens during a home visit? This just I want you to look at the picture. The person on the left is a home visitor. She comes with a curriculum, which her firstborn curriculum is, uh, follows the prenatal up to three years of age. Um, she, we also, this being Los Alamos, we draw from a lot of other resources. Harvard, 
early childhood education, University of Washington, Stanford, um, and we really meet families where they are. Sometimes we don't have time to go through the curriculum at that particular time because the family only wants to talk about temper tantrums, and so we need to just talk about temper tantrums. Um, and so we meet in their home, which is a sanctuary. It's really a place of safety for families. It's really an honor to be invited in. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we discuss goals with families. We, um, because we make them set, well, we don't make them set goals, but all families want to set goals. Like, I, I want to learn how to uh, lower my voice and not yell at my child. So we talk about how to work towards that goal. And, and it's baby steps as they go along. Um, we also do ASQs, which is the Ages and Stages Questionnaire. We, um, we do a postpartum depression survey with new families. Um, we do a social support index uh, questionnaire, which shows how plugged in a family is to the community. And if they're not really well nested in the community, then we make referrals to Family Strengths Network, Family Council, PEAK, um, behavioral, therapist, behavioral Health Therapists. We work closely with obstetricians, with pediatricians. We're really connected in the community, um, and that's part of the firstborn fidelity. All services are confidential. Everything that's told to the home ver visitor is not repeated, um, it's a, it's, and we're, we're bound by HIPAA, which is the met, just like your medical provider, um, to confidentiality. And I think it's important to note that um, really the, the crux of the home visit is not the curriculum, it's not the, um, it's not the assessments, it's not the referrals, although those are very important aspects of the home visit. The crux of the home visit is the relationship that the home visitor and the family build with one another. This is a trust-based program where we, we really try to meet with the families as, at least once a week. We try very hard to build um, relationship and trust because that's where we learn our best. We learn our best from people who we know, who we trust, who we can be very open and honest with. And so there's always time for the family to check in with our home visitor. There's always time for questions, and it's very much family-led. This, I'm sure this, you all can relate to this. <laughs> um, so just really quickly, some of our accomplishments. We've served 63 families since December of 2014. Um, I mean, sorry, we currently have 63 families on our caseload, and we've served 122 families. Um, we have two full-time home visitors, two part-time home visitors, uh, we have a, a postpartum nurse who does post, um, visits families in the immediate postpartum period. We have a support group uh, that goes that's, meets twice a month with a perinatal, uh, with a behavioral health therapist. It's called a perinatal support group, um, and we are, like I said earlier, we're very active in the community in terms of um, serving on boards and. Um, the Domestic Violence Task Force and the Basic Needs Subcommittee. And that LACHC is the Los Alamos Community Health Council. We serve on that as well. Um, our funding, if, we've been funded for three years, and uh, we're seeking three more, three more years of funding. It looks pretty solid at this point. Um, we always welcome donations, though, because we're a 501c3, so, you know, we hope that Firstborn is on the lips of every 
uh, person in the community, and we can't thank your congregation enough. You did a donate, you gave a donation to us last year, and it was really generous, and we're so appreciative of that. And um, it's it helps us a lot. Um, oh, and just to butt in really fast, sorry, Molly, mm-hmm. um, that donation actually went to buy Montessori toys so that our home visitors could um, model appropriate play and development for the families. Yeah, and our goals for the future are just to get in. Um, more, more partnerships with businesses in town. Um, that's really one of our big goals now because we feel like we're on pretty solid footing, but we need to get um, in with the businesses a bit more. And, of course, advocating for um, home visiting for children um, and then making sure that home visiting and the needs of early childhood are um, well represented both within the community and the state. So I just want to repeat again that uh, we have a wonderful active board that works with these fine, fine people. And these, by the way, I don't know if I actually said it, um, Molly and Kim are our program managers. They're co-managers of this whole program. Um, but we have a, uh, we're looking for new board members, and we're looking for people with marketing or uh, accounting background at the moment. So if you know someone or if you yourself fit that, or even if you are just very interested and, you know, talk to me because uh, we're actually losing one board member coming up in a couple of months. So are we about... So the one thing I want to just end with is... uh, I'm going to read this because um, we need to be active... We need to be proactive in obtaining and maintaining uh, both state funding, grants, and support from people. So what we need from you all (laughs) is we need you to refer and to promote the benefits of this type of program. We all know new, you know, pregnant women and uh, and, uh, families. Um, We... Uh, need to develop and maintain relationships with other organizations, family strengths, daycares, community agencies, doctors' offices, um, and we need to use updated information to foster and encourage healthy families. So we need you to make contact with us with information. We need to give you information. You'll see them at health fairs and uh, around the community, maybe at the hospital and doctor's offices. So um, um, thank you for allowing them to give their presentation. And we thank Tara, who was homesick today. She is one of the home visitors, and she's actually doing continuing education right now, working on a degree. So she's she's juggling so many different things, but she was unable to be here today. So thank you. Come ask questions or...